explained everything. Well, good morning. If we haven't met yet, my name's Hans. It is, it is great to see you all here. You'll need your Bibles open to Mark 4 as we look at uh, that passage together. And how about I pray as we uh, look at God's Word. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that as we look at your Word this morning, that you would speak to us. You would speak to us wherever we're at and that we would be changed as we encounter the Lord Jesus and his words in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, One of the things that seems to be uh, in the media a lot lately or in the last five to ten years is the decline of Christianity. It seems like less people are going to church, less people are are calling themselves Christians. And if you uh, follow a group called the McCrindle Group, they've said similar things. Uh, I think this is coming up. We got the slide coming up. Yeah, so here are some kind of worrying stats. They've been, we, people have been tracking uh, how many people call themselves Christians uh, for decades in Australia through the census and a few other things. And since the 1980s, there's a 22% drop in people that actually identify as Christians. There is a 48% drop in church attendance. And not only that, since the 80s, there's a 269% increase in people that say, well, I'm, not, I'm just not religious. I'm not religious at all. So in the last 40 years, there's been seismic shifts, huge shifts. And, and, and I dare say uh, you know some of the reasons as to why people are not going to church. And here's a few of them. They say, well, it's irrelevant to my life. 47% people don't go to church because it's just irrelevant. Uh, 26% of Australians who don't go to church don't accept how it's taught. Or 24% say there's an outdated style. Or 22% say there's issues with the clergy and all ministers. 19% don't believe the Bible. 18 are ju- 18% are just too busy. And I dare say some of us have come up against some of these things over and over again, right? Some of us have invited people to church or tried to tell people about Jesus, and it just seems like there's this blank expression, there's this, there's this wall here. And, and for, uh, for those of us who have been around for a while, we could remember a day when Christianity was there and it was just kind of like a bit bothersome. Right? But now it seems more and more that Christianity is not just a bit bothersome, a bit outdated, it's actually evil. When I was a pastor in Newtown, I got told well, a number of times actually that the, uh, that the person I was talking to when they found out I was a pastor, they would rather have lunch with a pet, and, and I would say, I oh, do you want to go out for lunch and we'll talk more, right? That a, few, a number of times they said, I would rather have lunch with a pedophile than a pastor. It's pretty confronting, right? Because they saw Christianity not as something like, oh, you can take it or leave it, but flat out evil. And the question is, is the word of God, therefore, just so ineffective? Right? You, you, you talk about Jesus to your friends and your family, it, it just seems ineffective. And, and so, what are we meant to do with that, right? 
Is the idea of telling people about Jesus just something outmoded? Just, just something that we should just leave in the past because no one's going to listen to it today? We talk a lot about a flood of people coming to know Jesus here at MCC. Is that just a, a dumb pipe dream? Something to make us feel good that we've got a target we're going for, but, but really nothing else? Well, well, today, what we're going to see is the way God's word works in our world. We're going to see that actually God's word is more powerful than we realise, but it works differently than we should expect. And so as we look at at this passage, we're going to see three things as we look at this passage. We're going to see the response to the word, the use of the word, and the growth of the word. The response to the word, the use of the word, and the growth of the word. So let's have a look at the first point, the response to the word. Now, Jesus starts in Mark chapter 4 by telling a parable. And what's a parable? A parable is a spiritual story, a story with a spiritual kind of kick in the tail. And so it's not just a nice story that Jesus tells that you're meant to go, oh man, gardening, isn't it nice? No, there's something to learn here. Right, And so Jesus tells, in the first part of, of uh, Mark chapter 4, a story that's a very, very common story. guy goes out to plant. He, uh, you know, he's spreading seed everywhere. Some of it goes on different soils. There's different uh, rates of return on those. In fact, there's only return on one, not on the other three. And yet, what we've got to understand first is why does Jesus tell parables. Because parables, the stories of Jesus that he tells, are not immediately apparent what we should get out of them. It's not like Jesus tells a parable and go, oh yeah, exactly, I get what he's saying. Sometimes it's a bit veiled. But why does he do that? Well, have a look at verse 9 with me. It, it, it says this, Then Jesus says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. First of all, he's saying, If you've got ears, if you've got the flappy bits on the side of your head, you need to really listen to what Jesus says. Everyone needs to listen. Verse 10, when he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may ever sorry they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding otherwise they might turn and be forgiven notice why Jesus tells parables he's saying to, to the disciples guess what everything's going to be revealed to you I'll sit down with you over dinner whenever it is and I'll tell you what I, what I'm really saying but I tell talk in parables and then he quotes Isaiah chapter 6 verses 9 and 10. And in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, Isaiah is given a mission to preach to Israel, but it's kind of a negative mission. God basically says, no one's going to listen. No one's going to listen. And so when Jesus quotes this, he is saying, I preach in parables so that they wouldn't listen, so that they wouldn't get it. Uh, Flip back to to, uh, verse 12 again and see those two words. At the start of verse 12, so that, if you're a Greek geek, it's the hina clause, which means Jesus does something so that so there will be a result, right? And the result is 
that they be ever be seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Jesus is preaching so that they would not listen and get it. Now, what, that just sounds just weird, doesn't it? But what you've got to realize is that God has been speaking to Israel for over a thousand years. Over and over and over and over again, God has been telling them who he is and what he's done and what, how they're meant to live. And they keep ignoring him and rejecting him because of their hard hearts. And so when God in the flesh and Jesus comes down, he preaches in this way out of judgment. This is a terribly, terribly sad thing. Jesus is judging them by preaching in parables. Now, now on one level, you go, man, like that's really harsh, and it is. And yet, all the way through the Bible, God allows people to have exactly what they want. Later this year, we're going to be preaching through the book of Exodus. Exodus is one of my favorite books in the Bible. And those of you who know the book of Exodus know that Moses comes against Pharaoh. And, and it, sometimes it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Sometimes it says that, that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Sometimes God, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. What is God doing there? God is giving Pharaoh exactly what he wants. He wants a hard heart. It's not like Pharaoh's going, oh, tell me about Yahweh so I can worship him. No, he gives him exactly what he wants. In Romans 1, we see the same concept. God gives people over to exactly what they want. And in Jesus' day, what we read very clearly in the four Gospels is that Israel does not want to bow the knee to Jesus. And so God gives them exactly what they want. They have hard hearts. They don't want to listen and so God says, okay, I'll give you what you want. We live in a world where it seems like uh, people say, what you really want, go after really, really what you want. Seek it. Can I just say that is foolishness? Because what we all want is to live our own way and not respond to God in the right way. And God will give us exactly what we want. A hard heart if that's what we want. And yet, what, what Jesus does here is kind of show the disciples what he means by this simple little story. Have a look at verse 13 with me. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand the parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As, they, as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word which was sown. So he basically says, you know, the, the seed going along the path, the, the seed is God's word which is preached. And so what, what, Satan just takes that word away straight away. And we've seen that, haven't we? Seen that people hear the word and they just go, this is ridiculous. Then there's a second group, verse 15. Some people like, sorry, verse 16. Others like seed, so on, on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Once again, 
Oh, haven't we just seen that people go, oh yeah, this Jesus is great, but it takes two, uh, two months, three months, six months, a year, and they don't follow Jesus anymore. Another group, verse 18. Still others, like seed sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, make it unfruitful. Some people follow Jesus for a time, but at some point, you know, the life happens, the stresses of life, and life chokes the word out of them. And then verse 20, others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Now, can I ask you, as, as you read that, I want you to think about yourselves, not anyone else, but, but I want you to think about how's your life going. Because we are those soils. This is people he's talking about. And it's really important that we actually take stock. I want to show you a couple of photos right now. Uh, coming up. The, these, uh, these are two photos of people that went to my previous church, right? On the right um, is a bunch of people. Um, we used to go out after church along King Street and we used to have dinner and hang out. That's a bunch of us. Oh, well, I was not in that photo, but I was there uh, at Urban Bites down in uh, Newtown, right? And this is um, one of our last Sundays together. We decided to end on mission. And we decided to tell Newtown all about Jesus. And we were uh, doing a bunch of kids, kind of like a, a family fun day, but in the middle of a park. It was, it was a great time. And as I look at those two, um, two photos, I, I think... Man, it was great. God did some great things. What's really heartbreaking about these photos is that a lot of the people in those two photos worshipped Jesus then, but don't now. If you were able to go back in a time machine and go to one of these events or any of the other events we put on at Resolve, and you say, do you follow Jesus? I say, absolutely I do. Are you you sold out for Jesus 100%? They would say, absolutely, I am. And yet if you ask them now, many of them would say no. Actually, that that was just something something for the past. And so when I think about that and when I think about my other ministries that I've been in, that happens a lot. There were people who were following Jesus back then but aren't now. And then I look at you guys and I just think, out of all of us here, in 10 years' time, who's going to keep following Jesus? And which one of us, which ones from here are going to be thinking, well, you know, I just don't have time? Or it's like, I don't follow Jesus at all. But when you think about those people in those photos or some of your friends that fell away, or maybe even you... Why did people fall away? Why did the, the, the seed, the word of God, not keep growing? See, I think a lot of us, well, we say, well, um, our, our hands, mate, look, you know, with COVID, COVID just took me, took me out of a rhythm. I was in a rhythm before COVID of coming to church and coming to growth group and, and everything was good, but, but now I'm not. Actually, Jesus would say... No, verse 19. 
But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word. Jesus would say, it's not that you're out of habit. It's that the, the worries of this life choked the word out of you, choked the life, the spiritual life out of you. Some of us would say, well, 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 well hands, you know, oh, man, I've, I've got this, like, you know, in the last few years, I've got a property or I've got something else I've got to manage, and so I'm really, really sporadic at church and blah, 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 blah. Jesus would say, no, 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 you haven't got a new property. Verse 19, he would say, no, no, this life, the worries of this life is choking the life out of you. Some of us would say, well, well, well hands, I've got a really busy job and I've I got a promotion and, and I'm really, really busy. I'm flat out and so I just need a break on Sundays. And I can't come to growth group because, man, I'm just tired, honestly. Jesus wouldn't say your, your problem isn't fatigue, even though it is a problem. Jesus would say the worries of this life are choking the faith out of you. Some of you guys are saying, well, hands, I've had some change ideas, I've had some change beliefs, and that happens. But Jesus says, your, your, your reason why you're walking away from me is not because of those changed beliefs. He's saying because the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth maybe, is choking the life out of you. Some of us would say, well, hands, I've got frustrations with church. And I, I feel myself slowly falling away. If you talk to some of the people at Resolved who, who are no longer Christians, they went to other churches. A lot of them had frustrations with the church. And a lot of those frustrations were totally and utterly legitimate. I'm not, I'm not saying that, that, that frustrations with church are necessarily bad. But what happened with, with those people and what I fear is happening some, with some of us, we're not dealing with potential frustrations with church. And we may say, oh, well, I'm frustrated with church and that's why I'm pulling back. No, Jesus would say, the word is getting choked out of you. I wonder what's encroaching on your life. Is it the love of money? Is it the stress that life brings? Is it frustrations with something? Is it family? Is it, what is it? One of the things that we had before COVID uh, was that we had regular, consistent uh, attendance in church. Now, post-COVID, it's sometimes we have an A and a B week in church. That is to say that sometimes we have one group of people coming to church and then the next week we'll have another group of people. We, we, we track numbers every week because numbers of people and people are important. And what we've been seeing is that there's a derivation by as much as 30%. What that means is some weeks we'll have 60, the next week we'll have 41, the next week we'll, you know, it'll go up and down, right? And the average derivation for the average church pre-COVID was about 12%. Most people, most people who would say, um, who look at, who research churches and trends and everything, say if you've got a, a derivation in week to week attendance by more than twenty percent, there's significant issues in your church. And my fear is 
that many of us here or many of the people who call themselves Christians but are not here in 10 years' time may not be Christians anymore because we've let the things of this world choke the life out from us. What is coming into your life that takes you away from Jesus and how are you dealing with it? This is not the time to be complacent, to say, oh, no, 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 I can handle it. I remember talking to some of the guys at Result at my previous church and they would say, oh, you know, I've got this issue, I've got this issue. And I said, well, you need to deal with it. And they said, no, 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 hands. I'm unique. I, you know, I can deal with this. I can explore this. I can, I can do whatever or I can, I can have these frustrations and be here. It's okay. Or I can step out of church for a bit or whatever or I can, you know, only go once a month or whatever. It's going to be okay because I can do that. And it was this idea that, that I'm unique because our world says you and I are unique. And so therefore, when we see that, well, other people are falling away like that, but that's not going to be me because guess what, hands, I can handle it because I'm unique. And can I just say, I don't think that's true. The older I get, the more I realise that I'm not unique at all. I go to the doctor and the doctor says, this is what you've got. And I said, how do you know? He goes, because... It's typical. I've seen it all a million times before. I go to my counsellor and he says, you just typically fit in this, character, this group of people. You're actually just typical for this group of people. I said, well, what about uniqueness? And he goes, no, you're absolutely typical, Hans. You're not unique at all. That's what he said to me. I said, thanks, mate. Then I go to my physio. I tell him what hurts. And he just is able, without kind of prodding a bunch of places, he just puts his finger right on the place that hurts and he goes, and I scream like a girl and jump off the thing. I said, how can you do that? He goes, because, it, because your injury is just typical for a 42-year-old man who's trying to live like he's 21, right? And, and if I go to medical professionals and I'm absolutely typical in every way, I'm not unique in every, any way, well, why should I think I'm unique when it comes to spiritual matters? Why should I think that, oh, those people fell away like that, but that's not me, even though I'm doing exactly the same things that they're doing? See, what you've got to realise is that the world lied to you. You're not unique at all. You are a person, a Christian that follows Jesus, but you need what every Christian needs. You need fellowship. You need the word. You need brothers and sisters around you to keep you accountable. You need to repent of those sins. You need to deal with the issues in your life so you can keep following Jesus so that the word is not choked out from your life. The question is, are you going to do that? Or are you going to just let let it choke you out? See, there's the response to the word. Well, how are you responding to God's word? But then there's the second point. Let's have a look at it together. The use of the word. Have a look at this, this parable. Verse 21. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on a stand, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has to hear... Let them hear. Jesus, I think, once again, is talking about the word, but he's using a different word picture, and he's saying, like, if you've got a lamp, 
You, you wouldn't buy a lamp from, I don't know, Ikea or something and just chuck it under a bowl. Because what's the point of having a lamp? No, you put it out in the middle of the, uh, the room so it creates light and gives light to a whole room. That's what you do. And he's saying, if you've got the word of God, if you trust Jesus, why would you put the word in, you know, just hide it? This is the word of God. Why wouldn't you tell the world about it? Why wouldn't you tell your friends and family about Jesus? And yet we've got all the excuses in the world, haven't we? I don't know about you, but I have. Man, like if I talk about Jesus, they're going to make me look like an idiot. If, if, if this happens, well, this will happen. Or, you know, I've got all the excuses in the world. But when we think about eternity, our excuses don't matter, really. They just show off what they are. You know, it's, it's a bit like we tell a story to ourselves so that we actually forget about what, where our friends and family who don't know Jesus are going. My dad, when I became a Christian, used to tell me all these bad stories about what happened in the church in Denmark. And this, I'll share, share with you the worst. He talked about how, how a, um, a young minister in the Lutheran church got a gig at this small country town. And around 9am, or when the church started, they would start singing, um, they would hear a, a bunch of screams. Because the church was over the road from a, a train station. And at this particular train station, at this particular time, that's where all the Jews in Denmark were rounded up and put on trains to be taken to Auschwitz. And so just as they were singing their first song, the Danish version of Anne Canopy or whatever it was, they would hear the screams and the, 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 the pastor of the church, he didn't know what to do because as you can imagine, it really killed the vibe of the service. So as my dad told this story, he said, this pastor called up the bishop this older, wiser uh, leader, or you think wiser, and he came in a couple of Sundays' time. Stood up to sing the first song. The train went, the screams happened, and here's what the bishop said. The bishop said, just sing louder. Just sing louder. Just ignore what is happening out there. Just sing louder. I think one of the things when we listen to our excuses of not telling people about Jesus, we're just saying, just sing louder. Let's just ignore it. Let's ignore the fate of people who are going to live without Jesus for eternity. Just sing louder. See, you may think you're, you're... Telling of your faith is embarrassing. It's easy not to say anything. I'm scared of losing friends. What we're just saying is just sing louder. And yet if we've got the heart of Jesus who, who, who not only told people about himself but died for them, we want to tell as many people as we can about him despite people's rejection of it. That's not on us. 
But, but some of us are, are going, oh, all hands, it's just so hard. We saw in the intro how hard it is to share the gospel. Very few people really want to know about Jesus today. And that, that's, that's pretty much true. So is it pathetic? Well, no, we've got to realize the growth of the word. Let's have a look at the last point, the growth of the word. Verse 26, have a read it with me. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether it sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not uh, know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. And again, he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable should we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. When planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Two parables, same point. And I wonder if you got it. The seed, once again, like the first parable, is the word of God. It's very small. It's insignificant. But over time, it grows. As you plant a little seed, it grows. And yet, we don't really see it grow. I think that's why he's using this kind of plant analogy. You don't kind of plant a seed and you, you don't sit there watching it grow. I remember as a kid, I was eight years old, my mum took me to a, um, uh, the local uh, nursery. It was called Fork and Spade. And mum said, we're going to buy you a tree. We're going to plant a tree. And I was like, oh, this is great. So I bought, um, we bought a red river gum and I planted it. And out the back of our place in Moree, and I, I would go out there and water it. And I would come home. One time I came in, this is the story that my mum tells me. One day I came in with tears running down my, my cheeks. And my mum goes, Why, What's wrong? And I said, My tree's not growing. And she goes, Why, why do you think your tree's not growing? I said, because I, I can't see it grow. I, I stand there, I basically flood the thing, and it doesn't grow. And she goes, oh, no, it just grows over time, and you won't be able to notice it, but it is growing. And if you go to my mum's place in Moree, you will see this huge red river gum that's three stories high. Because over the last 30 years, it's been growing bit by bit by bit in a really imperceptible way. And Jesus is saying the growth of the word is like that. It, 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 it grows. It seems so small and so puny. And yet God takes your efforts in sharing the word and my efforts in sharing the word, no matter how puny and small they are, one day he's saying they will bring a harvest. One day... As we keep sharing the gospel, we'll be able to say, hey, this is what God has done with it. But, but it's not up to us to, to judge our ability to share the gospel. It's not, to, not up to us to judge the ability of people we're sharing the gospel with to, to think what soil they are. It's, it's our job to actually keep telling people about Jesus. That's our job. And Jesus promises that our work will not be in vain. He is going to tell people about Jesus. And some of us, once again, are just going, Hans, like, I just feel like I'm an idiot when I, when I share the gospel. I just feel like I'm just clumsy. 
You know, the beautiful thing is God chooses to work through clumsy tellings of the gospel all the time. Let me tell you about my favorite one. When I was a youth minister in Moree, uh, the, uh, the Uniting Church at Gundawindi, which is just over the Queensland border, um, had a youth uh, kind of, a youth professor, I think he was, he was a professor at a, uh, at a thing over in the States, came and give a talk. And so th- that church invited all the youth ministers and, uh, and everyone to come to this church and uh, listen to him for a day. And I went, and it was basically pathetic, the whole thing, unfortunately. It was just... Uh, But there was one conversation that was amazing. Over lunch, there was only 12 of us there. Over lunch, one one of the guys said, have you done anything in your ministry that's really, really worked? And one guy said, yeah, I have. This guy comes from North Star. Now, no one here has heard of North Star, I take it, right? But North Star is about 45 minutes drive out of Moree, and think of North Star to Moree uh, culturally is like, it would be like Mount Druitt to St. Ives. That's the culture gap. So Moree people just look down their nose at uh, people from North Star. And, uh, and so he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we had this thing. Our youth group doubled and everyone became a Christian. And everyone in the rooms is like, I want to listen to this. This is amazing, right? And we're like, so what did you do? And he said, he just said, bunny bashing. It's like, what? He said, what we did is we told everyone to invite their friend and bring a, um, bring a cricket bat or something and we just let them loose in a field so that they could chase bunnies and hit them over their head. Now, I just got to say, I don't condone this. Gene is not doing this at Impact. If your kid goes there, it's not. This is just a story. Anyway... And he goes, yeah, all the kids loved it. And we were like, did you actually open up the Bible? Did you do anything like that? He goes, yeah, I opened up to Revelation 19. And Jesus got his robe dipped in blood, a sword coming out of his mouth. And, he's, and he comes to destroy everyone against him. And I said to them, if you think that we bash some bunnies, that's nothing compared to what Jesus is going to do to you when he comes back. And he comes back in judgment. But Jesus died for you so you could not face him in judgment. And he said, all the kids became a Christian that night. And we were like, sure they did. Like, you just scared the hell out of them, right? About eight years ago, I was, uh, sorry, eight years later, I'm at Bible college. I get asked to speak at a very small youth group down the Shire. There's 12 kids, right? They had another evangelistic event and there was one kid who was going to read the Bible but first, one of the leaders, he was going to share his testimony and he got up and he said, "Um, I grew up in a non-Christian family but one time I visited my cousins at North Star and I was like, okay, I'm in, right? And he goes, yeah, they took us out and they they gave us cricket bats and we were meant to chase bunnies and we didn't get anyone because you know there were two things and then they told us this story about how Jesus is going to come back in judgment uh, but we've got to give our lives to Jesus and I became a Christian then and I still follow him today and my my jaw just hit the floor because I just thought that's the stupidest way of telling people about Jesus and yet God used that if he's going to use that why can't he use you if he's going to use that way of telling about Jesus, which is so inappropriate on so many different levels, right? 
Why can't he use you and you telling your friends and family about Jesus? See, as I said, it's our job to tell people about Jesus. And so here's what we do as individuals, as a church. Four things. We speak the gospel. We pray for those around us. We love those around us. And we stay the course of the long haul. We, stay, we speak, we pray, we love, we stay. Are you committed to speaking, to praying, to loving, to staying? Because God's word, despite what our world thinks, is extremely powerful. And God, in the end, will bring a great harvest. Are you on board with that? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you once again for this passage and your word. I thank you that it just warns us. It warns us not only that we should be people who take seriously the concerns of this world so we won't fall away, but it also tells us about how powerful your word is. Your word is not obviously powerful. But in the end, we will see how powerful it truly is. So, Lord, may we be faithful to you. May we not only take the things out of our lives that may be choking the word in us, but may we take the things out of our lives that stop us from telling people about you. May we speak the gospel, pray for the people and their conversion, love those people and stay the course. May we speak, pray, love and stay. All for your glory alone. Amen. We're going to sing our next song. Let's stand and sing.